Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I don't know this for sure, but I think it's possible that Larry Foote attended at least one of the Taylor Swift concerts at Raymond James Stadium. A couple of weeks ago. I know I did. I didn't see him there. But after the comment he made about Devin White, eh, pretty sure of it. Does he so have daughters? We had do, do we, do, does Larry Foote have daughters? Do we know? He does. Okay. He does. So maybe he now, did. what's interesting about that, since you bring that up, he does have daughters. But he told us that by far his daughters, and I guess sons for that matter, favorite player, and we'll get, to, and this is relevant, is Levante David. He says his daughter has three Levante David jerseys, and there's about six of them in the Foot household. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No, you, so not a bad player to pick. No, not at all. But if you're, but you know, if if you're if you're outside linebackers coach or inside linebackers coach for years and years, now your co-defensive coordinator is picking favorites. His family's already picked them. <laughs> we didn't ask like, where are the Devin White jerseys? Right? Uh, they may not want to wear them this year if they got them. We'll see. But that's what we got on the subject to, and that brings me back to Tay-Tay. I was going to say, his kids deciding which jersey to select is a champagne problem. <laughs> well, that's it. <laughs> and that is what uh, Larry Foote described the issues right now with Devin White. He called it champagne problems, which I think is one of the greatest quotes we've had over there in some time. God bless you, Larry Foote. So we got on the uh, the, the subject of Devin White's trade demand. And you know, and, and here's a guy, by the way, who, who has had him since he was a rookie. Um, and we know what, what a good player Devin White is, but you know, White has demanded to be traded because he's unhappy with his contract. He's in his fifth year as a first round pick. Uh, teams, clubs have a fifth year option that they can exercise. If you're not a first round pick, you can hit. You can become an unrestricted free agent after four seasons. This is a sort of addendum that the CBA agreed to uh, with the new uh, contract that they signed uh, a few year, many years ago. And so when these players get to their fifth year, now there's a, there's a ginormous bump in pay. I mean, and, and why he called it champagne problems is that Devin White would have to try to get by this year on $11.7 million, okay, which is damn near triple what he's been making uh, as of late. So, oh, and on top of that, just by comparison, and I know he's a 33-year-old player. We we talked about, you know, Levante David. You know, when when he re-signed this past year for one one year, and I think it was critical that they did that, um, he took a pay cut. He, he had been making $12.5 million. Remember he signed a two-year, $25 million deal? Last year was the final year of that. Twelve and a half mil he was he he earned. Well, when he came back, we knew he took a cut, and it was reported to be worth as much as when you hear the as much as, you might want to read the fine print because it's it's probably full of performance bonuses, which is, you know, protects the club against an older player, obviously, who could get hurt or or become, you know, less productive. 
right? So, I, but when you really look at it, um, it's only four and a half million guaranteed uh, in base salary, in guarantees, guarantees and base salary. So here's Levante David, a guy whose name is going on the stadium, no question. Um, and yet, at 33, he's willing to come back, help the club out, play another year. Now, he's not playing for free. I mean, four and a half million up to seven is nothing to sneeze at. But it's not even close to what Devin White's going to make at 11-7. And again, Devin White, rising player, you know, pro bowler, all that, captain, three-time captain, I get it. But this is the agreement that the players made with the collect, you know, as part of the collective bargaining agreement. I mean, this, this there's no leverage here other than withholding his services. And Larry Foote, by the way, um, is a guy who played. You know, this isn't just the management speaking, right? Like, I'm, well, I'm on the management side. Larry Foote understands negotiations. He played 13 seasons in the NFL at linebacker. He's been through it a few times. He knows what negotiations are, and and he, and he certainly respects the right of players to get as much money as they can. Um, you know, he played like nine years, I think, of those in, in, in Pittsburgh with the Steelers, which is a great organization. So he's he's not saying this is a one-off. Like he, he said, he's not the – he even said, he goes, he's not the first and he's not going to be the last. He goes, we know that. But he said, like I told him, he gets paid $11 million this year. It's actually eleven seven. Those are champagne problems, <laughs> which – is it's a little bit uh a little swipe at him somewhat um just one time now, in my life i would like champagne problems i know right right it's a great song by the way and and if my daughter were here she'd be happy to hop on the pod and sing it for you it's actually taylor swift wrote this song about a girl who uh is taken out to dinner by her uh would-be fiance who proposes to her, has the ring, and the champagne has the family there, and she says no. <laughs> so it's definitely Oops. problems on top of the champagne. There was much champagne involved, but a whole lot of problems with that, yeah. Um, so it's a great song. But uh, but an even greater analogy here, um, you know, by, by Larry Foote. Now, we know what Devin White wants. I mean, the... the he wants as much as he can get. And if he were a free agent, and what Bruce Arians and others have said is, look, come in, play, be consistent another year, you'll get paid. You'll get your money. Roquan Smith was in the same boat a year ago, exact same boat. He, he did not want to come to camp. Uh, he ended up coming to camp but not practicing with the Chicago Bears. Then when push came to shove and he was out of options, he was like, okay, I'll play. All the while wanting to get out of Chicago because why? They didn't give him a long-term deal. All they did was pay him the fifth-year option. Now, when they got to the next trading deadline in October and the Bears were kind of out of it, the Bears traded him. They traded him to the Baltimore Ravens. What did the Ravens do? Nothing. They didn't pay him. Not right away. He had to play the rest of the season under that disrespectful fifth-year contract, uh, club option. But he played well, and Roquan Smith is – really one of the best inside linebackers in football. He's now the highest paid one. And so in January, the Ravens rewarded him because he played well. 
And they gave him a five-year, $100 million contract. But he had to play for it. Whether he played for the Bears or not, that, you know, if, if you want to drive you know, a wedge between yourself and an organization, you can certainly do it. Um, these guys have no plans on trading Devin White. They just don't. And I don't think they would do it even if he, you know, get, it gets to October and they're out of it, be, unless he's just not playing well. And that's the other thing, too, about this. For as great as he's been, there are holes in his game, you know? And the biggest thing is he's inconsistent. You know, you, you can't and, – and I give the guy an immense amount of credit. When he went over to Germany upon learning that his father had died in prison, which is still under investigation, under suspicious nature, got on a plane, learned about it on his way to, to the plane, got on a plane and flew to Germany and had the game of his life, you know. Um, and he was inspired, clearly. But that was, you know, that showed just how great he can be. I mean, he, I don't know how many tackles he had, um, but it was in double digits. And he had splash plays, fumble recovery, force fall, like all over the place, right? So it was his, it was his greatest game. Um, and, and I think he played pretty well after that. What happened before? Well, that was, you know, that was the Ravens game, right? When they played that Thursday night game against Baltimore and he was caught loafing and it was on film and it looked bad. And he was called out by Warren Sapp. And he was like, well, who's Warren Sapp? And like, well, you might want to check your Bucks history. He's in the lobby and he's in the Hall of Fame. So that, that was a bad kind of exchange there for a couple of weeks. But he bounced back. And I, I thought that he comported himself humbly. I thought that he played really well. I thought he did a great job. However, he's still been up and down. And before you commit some $70 million guaranteed, or a hundred million dollars, you know, on 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 the table there. You you want to see him again? You want to see him do it one more time? Um, and then you know what? If, if here's the other thing about this, he can play for eleven seven, and he can be mad at the Bucks all he wants to. He can go out there and make the Pro Bowl, be Defensive Player of the Year. Guess what? He can say, "See ya, I'm a free agent. I'll go get my hundred million dollars elsewhere." So there is an upside here a little bit now. I also understand that football is a one-place-away sport, right? Any given play, practice, or the game, your career can end. So I don't begrudge these guys getting as much as they can get right now. Guarantee as much money as you can get because contracts are not guaranteed except what they will guarantee. It's not like baseball. It's not like hockey. So I'm all for that. I really, I really mean that. I want Devin White to make as much money as he can. But I just don't see short of withholding your services. Now, if he doesn't come to OTAs, right, when they're doing the install, and they're going to be doing some different things. Remember, they have a, a new three technique. They're going to be able to, to rush differently uh, with some of the speed they've added to this team. And Todd Bowles is, is, a, is a staunch believer in changing things up every year or two because he feels like other teams catch on to what you're doing. Part of the problem the Bucks had with their offense is it was too stagnant. It was too predictable. It had not changed. And, and Todd Bowles is the opposite. He wants to move the parts all the time. So OTAs is important. They're voluntary. He's played a lot of ball. It's not like he can't pick it up, and it's still the structure of the defense. But if you want to make a lot of money, and the only way you can do it is to have a great year, 
it might help you to come in and practice. And, you know, what are we talking about? Not the game, not the game I love. We're talking about OTAs. But still, if my total fortune was on the line on, based on how I play this year, I would think you'd want to go in there and, and try to be your best self and do that in the offseason with your team. No question about it. I mean, it, it's always tricky because you see the player side. You see Absolutely. the team side. But at the, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, end of the day, it's negotiating the CBA, period. That's it. You don't That's like the it. Rules. Then as a union, you have to change it. Yeah. Call Demoris Smith, man. And, and every first-round draft pick in the last however many years this has been going on, I don't remember which CBA came in. Yeah. Every one of them has gone through this. Yep. Yep, they have. And you can go back before that, 2011, new CBA, right? Rookie salary pool, right? Remember when guys were getting $60 million guaranteed to sign as a first-round pick? Top 10 pick, top 5 pick? Sam Bradford? Gerald McCoy? Those guys, before they play a game, one game in the NFL, were guaranteed $50, $60 million if you're a top 5 pick. Top two for sure, but in the top five, the money was ridiculous. They changed it, and the players agreed to change it. And you know why the players agreed to change it? Because they said, hey, this isn't right, man. We got guys that have been in the league and proven themselves, and dudes that are coming out of, the, out of college are, are being guaranteed more money than this guy who is a three-time pro holder. That ain't right. So they capped the rookie pool of money that you can offer those guys and and they and now they've added for first round picks a fifth year club option. Which, by the way, and this is something that Foot raised, which I thought was was also interesting because he's paying attention. He goes, you know, the other day he said there were a whole bunch of guys that teams declined the fifth year option on, right? And he goes, so you know, this team wants to pay the fifth year option to Devin White. So that means, you know, he's done something well, he's earned it, they want him. That's not the case with every player that's drafted in the first round. So you can look at that one of two ways. Um, You know, for some of these guys, they're going to have to go out and, you know, they're kind of a lame duck season. So it's it's an interesting thing, but I just thought – you know, if you've got Larry Foote in your ear um, and he's saying things like you got champagne problems. <laughs> I mean, look, Chase Young, who I granted had an ACL injury, but Chase Young was supposed to be the next great, you know, pass rusher in the league and did really well his first couple of years. Then he got hurt, he got ACL. And they, they he's coming back for his fourth season. They said, you know what? We're not going to pick up your fifth-year option. So, you know, he's a guy that has a right to say, well, I don't want out of here then, you know. Um, but in the case of Devin White, uh, it'll be interesting just to see if he does come to any of the OTAs, if he does come to um, the mandatory minicamp. Now, he doesn't come to mandatory minicamp, which is uh, June 13th through the 15th. He's going to get fined. They'll take money from him for that. Um which, like if you're said, planning on it, not playing this year, you might want to show up so you don't have to pay out the money. Right. Exactly. Now, you could say, well, if you show up and then put you on the field, you could get hurt, and then 
you know, that's what you're trying to guard against is getting hurt when you're making what you think is a crappy contract of 11-7. But I, I think, like I said, a year ago, um, you had a situation with, with Roquan where he, he didn't even want to practice in training camp and didn't in the beginning. He was there, but he wouldn't practice until it became clear to him that, you know, they're going to find me and, and I'm, I don't have options here. They're not trading me, so I better, I better get ready to play. And then he did, but they traded him at the trade deadline. So I don't know, but it was entertaining. It was entertaining with Larry, man. He was great. And we had a chance to talk to, uh, to a lot of the Bucks defensive coaches, you know, many of whom we know, obviously, um, you know, they, they, uh, they had a defensive draft, you know, and there's some guys in here that they really, really like. And, and that's not a surprise. I mean, I think, one of the things that they definitely wanted to do, and, and it's kind of mission accomplished, if you ask me, uh, by the Bucks, is they've gotten faster. And, you know, you talk about Devin White and Levante David. David has slowed down a bit, but can still run. Um, you talk about those guys, but you know what? Uh, speed kills in the NFL, and every team wants it. But because of of keeping so many veteran players, the Indomitian Sues who then left and then bringing on Akeem Hicks who then left, keeping a Will Golston, um, you know, for what, eight, nine, 10 years. Uh, those kinds of guys, while very reliable and understandable that you would want to keep the Super Bowl group together, you don't get faster or less injured or more productive in this league as you get older. And so the oldest team in the league the last two, three years, in part because of Brady, I get that, needed to get younger, but that means more athletic. And so when you get Kalija Kansi, who can absolutely fly, he's an undersized guy in terms of what they're used to, but they can do so many different things with him because of his speed. And he's going to create opportunities for the outside rushers and, and going to create pressure on the quarterback from inside, which very few teams have. Um, Yaya Dabi is a guy that, in addition to saying his name, which I love, Yaya Dabi, um, he's gonna he's he's a speed to power guy. He's he's a guy that's not just gonna flash off the edge, um, but he can also he can also push the pocket and he runs a ridiculous forty yard dash. You know, at two hundred and sixty five, two hundred seventy pounds. So these are these are you know these are guys that are gonna help them. Right away, Josh Hayes, and, and this is another thing that's interesting. I was talking about this this uh, draft class. You know, because of COVID and the rules being what they are now with the transfer portals and different things, this is one of the one of the first classes where guys had played six years of football in college. Josh Hayes played six college football years. Six. He's twenty four, and you know. Played some of it played damn near seventy games of college. I swear, Stetson Bennett's played ten years, but <laughs> well, yeah, because because he was at Georgia for nine of them, <laughs> yeah, and then probably somewhere before that. And he's also forty five years old. Um, I hate to say when, when guys are twenty four, they're like, yeah, he's he's already twenty four. He's past. He's old. I mean, this these are old. men just grown it. Twenty four years old, but compared to the twenty year olds. And the 21-year-olds, you know, Tristan Wurst was 20 when he got here. Now, he's also a guy that could wear a gold jacket one day. But some guys come here and they played 16 games in college. 
That's a harder projection now, man. You know, you've got a guy now that's got six years of film, lots of experience in big time games. Um, and he's mature as a young man. You know, the other thing they've had to handle is money. You know, the transfer portal and the, and, and the NILs and stuff like that. A lot of times, one of the big concerns when you, when you draft a guy is what's he going to do when he has some time and money? Now, they didn't have much time in college, allegedly, because they only practice 20 hours a week, allegedly, and then they got to go to school, allegedly. But what do you do with it? You've never had it, right? And then guys get paid. They got time when they go, they're done with practice at 6 o'clock or 5.30, whatever. And you got time and money, man. It can cause a lot of problems. You don't know how to deal with that. Well, well they're studying, Rick. <laughs> well, yeah. But now, now that they're now that they've been through it in college, there's not as much, you know, they, some of these guys have handled money and have stayed eligible. And and so they've they've even been exposed to that side of, of professional football. Not as much as they're gonna have now, obviously. They're gonna have millions. I guess maybe some make millions at Alabama and whatnot. But at least um, that's not a guessing game. And I, I think what, you know, in talking to guys like Mike Beal and, and them the uh, in personnel over there, what they really like, what they've done the last four, five, six years is they've gra- they drafted good players. First, you always want a good player, right? I mean, you got to have a good player. But more than that, they've drafted, right, salt-of-the-earth guys, right? Like dudes that are captains, self-motivated, highly accountable, um, you know, they just get it, right? They want to excel at everything, you know, just because that's who they are. And so, you know, do you know that their talent is going to transfer when you pick a guy in the sixth round? No, you don't always know. And there's a reason he's in the sixth round. Usually it's because he's not tall enough or big enough or fast enough, something like that. Um, and they had three six-round picks this year. You know the guy they're raving about, which is crazy to me? I swear to you, if you ask anybody over there in personnel, I did this the other day. I said, who's the one draft pick? Now, we know the, you know, Cancy and, you know, Malk and, you know, we expect the top of the draft to be great, right? But who's the guy you draft? You're like, boy, I think we got something here. This is my favorite pick. Jason Light said this the other day on the radio, and it was followed up today for me. It's Jose Ramirez, the last pick in their draft, number 196. Eastern Michigan, outside linebacker. Eastern Michigan outside linebacker, who they say reminds everybody when you put the tape on of a guy out of Colorado State named Shaq Barrett. Can just absolutely get off the ball, get upfield, has some power. It's 12 sacks last year, 19 and a half tackles for loss at Eastern Michigan. They love this guy. So it was interesting. It was it was fun. It was fun talking to the coaches over there and um we can get into more of that as as we go along here in the next couple days uh, and, and dig into some of the, the plans that they have for some of these guys. But um, but I, I would say Larry Foote stole the show. Now, there's another side of what we talked about, and I asked two questions, or asked us the same question to two coaches, and it was just to gauge what they had been through. And, let me, and we all know, right, what happened on Sunday was a horrible day. Um, for Shaq Barrett's family and Jordana losing their two-year-old daughter to a drowning at their um, South Tampa home. Um, and so, you know, I, we, we had a chance to talk to Casey Rogers, who's one of the co-defensive coordinators. 
And Casey made the point, and it's something we talked about the other day, that in addition to being such a tremendous player for this organization, it's the person, you know, that Shaq is. It, it's what he means uh, to the community, what he has meant, you know, to, to people. He, you know, he told the story, Casey told the story of his mom meeting Shaq for the first time in Tennessee last year. They had a preseason game. And she just couldn't get past just what a what a nice man he was. What a great, you know, uh uh, ambassador to represent the Bucks, and so that's what sticks to you. But they, you know, like all of us, um, Casey Rogers said that uh, uh, they are doing everything they can to throw their arms around the Barretts and 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 support them. Um, and when I asked Larry Foote about it on on his way off the podium, he he called it the wor- one. Of the, he said it was one of the worst days of my life, and he couldn't go any further. He got he got very emotional, and that was the end of the interview. Anyway. Um, but you can feel the sorrow um, that's still very palatable in that building. Um, for as much as we, we talked about the draft and football and all that, it's still weighing very, very heavily. And of course, it's fresh. And then I saw where uh, Jordana posted a very heartfelt um, message on Instagram uh, about her baby daughter. And I will not read it, but I'll encourage you guys to go and, and read it on Instagram. It's beautiful. It's poignant, and it is um, <laughs> very tough to read. But um, boy, you just you just you, you just continue to pray for those folks that uh, that they get through this difficult time. There's going to be a lot of tough days ahead. Uh, but again, their faith tells them that they will be together, uh, and they are leaning on that. And I think that's one of the more encouraging things uh, about this family and how they are coping is that uh, they have an awful lot of faith, and their faith tells them um, that this is, you know, not goodbye, uh, but just, uh, you know, we will see you. We will see you soon, and we look forward to that. We, we are going to rejoice in that, uh, in that faith that we have about that. Okay, so uh, we will talk more about the Bucks as we go on um, throughout the week for sure, and we've got some, we've got some breaking raise news that we're going to get to here as well in just a second. But first, I want to tell you how to save money on your electric bill. It's called May Electric Solar. Been saying this for a while. They're a family-owned and operated business. They've been installing solar electric systems now for 13 years in this area. May Electric Solar is committed to you for the long term. Here's the difference with them and these other companies. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. 30 years. Plus, with every installation, you also get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That's what they're calling the May difference. If you visit the Hudson showroom, May Electric displays all their products. They conduct on-site testing. You can see exactly what they're going to install. They're going to customize your needs right there with the solar products that they have. Plus, they don't use subcontractors. So you know everybody up there on that roof putting in those panels. Those are Billy Mays guys, and that's who's doing the job. Start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate. Lower your electric bill all year long. Preserve the quality of your life and your appliances. That's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right. Um, I don't know when, you know, and there is no statistical analysis that I have done, nor do I want to. Uh, injuries are a part of every sport. There's certainly a part of baseball at every level. And we have talked about how I think the biggest change in the game uh, has been velocity, right, and the emphasis on it, particularly with pitchers. Also, you know, you have that with hitters too. You talk about the exit velocity of, of the bats and whatnot, right? But I'm here to tell you, for whatever reason, and I have not compared it to any team, but it just seems like the Tampa Bay Rays have trouble keeping their arms intact. And the latest is Pete Fairbex. Now, we know he had the resurgence of the Reynolds syndrome that impacts the blood flow to his fingers, and that came up the other day in Chicago. Um, and there was optimism that they may take care of that. And as and far as cold weather goes, we're almost out of the cold weather, and they're trying a bunch of concoctions and things. However, now uh, Fairbanks, I guess, has some discomfort in his forearm. Now, they think, in talking, talking to Mark Topkin, that it's more towards his wrist uh, than it would be his elbow. But, Steve, I'm telling you, when I hear forearm tightness, I, I, I always cringe because that very often leads to the elbow and to the ulnar nerve, and then you know Tommy John is right around the corner. Well, you're hoping not because he's your closer, your best arm in the bullpen. Right. Uh, even though he's, what, with four save opportunities and 26 wins, which is just ridiculous. It's stupid. I <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? If you're into fantasy baseball and you've picked up Pete Fairbanks thinking, oh, the Rays oh, will do pretty well and get a lot of say No. <laughs> so they call him Pete Rarebanks, I guess, is what they call him. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. and we, we actually had a mailbag question asking about if the pitch clock is factoring into some of the injuries to pitchers this year. You know, we'll answer that. Why don't we take that question yeah. right now? Because it's just, it's cognitively dissident asked. Just if the if there's it seems injuries to pitchers are up all over the league. Some suggest the pitch clock could that the ability not to be able to slow it down a bit more be contributing? I, I I'm you know the old I'm not a doctor play what stated holiday in. I I don't know from a uh, this is not what I study. But I I have played the game and and I know guys that have pitched at a very high level. Um, I would say this. First of all, in general, working fast is an advantage for pitchers because you get to dictate the pace of the game. And what I mean by that is, you know, hitters, and this is what why games were lasting four and a half hours, they love to step out after. I love to step out after every pitch and think about how he's working me, slow him down. You know, the worst thing you can be is if you're at the plate and it's 0-2 in about 25 seconds. Like, you literally can't even get comfortable on your back foot, right? Much less try to get, you know, used to seeing the ball out of a pitcher's hand. Every delivery is different. Some guys hide the ball. Some guys don't. Um, try to pick up the spin of the ball. Um, you know, try to understand what this guy has the first time up. You might want to see a fastball. You might want to see, you know, what his, what his slider does or what his breaking ball does and, and take a pitch. But if you're up there and they're throwing it at you every couple of seconds – um, that that game speeds up for you as a hitter. So I think I think in in general, pitchers working fast have an advantage. 
However, if they're if they're cognizant of a clock that's ticking down and they're not ready to throw the, fo- the, the football, the baseball, um, and they're still looking at signs and they feel a, a, an added pressure, if that speeds you up, even mentally, but certainly physically, I could see where working fast is not a good thing. If you've ever gone outside and played hot box or, or just tried to see how fast you could get rid of the ball and throw it to the next guy, it's exhausting, right? It's not like you're standing up there and you got the perfect, you know, perfect form, perfect, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Tech, uh, mechanics, uh, you know, hip rotation, uh, push off the mount. Like if, you, if you're just sitting there and you're just throwing the ball, catching it and throwing it back to the other guy as fast as you can, you'll start to feel the strain of your arm. You will. Because you're not focused on those things that you need to be focused on. And so I do wonder if, if there is some correlation because it's still new. It's great for the fans. Um, I still think it's an advantage for pitchers, although maybe statistically it's not showing up because it's negated by the fact that there are no shifts and there's bigger bases and all this stuff. And um, some think the balls are juiced as well. Uh, and I agree with that too. I, I sub, I'm subscribing to that. I co-sign that one as well. Um, because I don't think the Rays are capable of hitting home, as many home runs as they have if they weren't juiced. Let me just say that straight out. Um, something's wrong. <laughs> but uh, I I do believe that there could well be uh, a negative un, unintended adverse effect with pitchers working that quickly, that long, right? And there's no like you can't change up anything. You can't step up. You get a couple. What you get a couple timeouts? Yeah, I think um, you get one if you want to. Yeah, you get one. Yeah. You can throw over to first a couple times if there's a right. runner. Of two, course. two. Dis, you can disconnect from the mound twice, but there's there's really not a lot of a lot of breaks, right? That if you if you do want to just catch your breath and and focus on your mechanics or focus on your delivery, you don't have time to do it. So if you get into a bad habit um, and you're hurried. Absolutely, I think I think the cumulative effect could be um, that you might see you might see pitchers struggle with that with an arm standpoint. I I think it makes sense that it could have a negative impact. I don't I don't think we know because there's no data. Yeah, well, it's the first year of the clock. I think it's well, well we've seen in the minors, and so I, you yeah. know, who knows what that data's look like too. Yeah, that's true. I don't, you know, did the pitch clock have an impact on it? I think it, it's very possible. I still think that the arm injuries is a fact of a generation ago. If you could throw ninety five consistently, you were it's considered a freak. Yeah. Now we've got everybody throwing ninety eight plus and 100%. doing spin rates that we've never even dreamed of a generation there you ago. Go. That's and we're doing so yeah. many things to the ball and arms to get mm-hmm. spin rate and mm-hmm. tightness, and and you see how the ball just wickedly snaps through the zone. The you know, grip, the, all the, that, the breaks yeah. on the ball, and and, and arms aren't mm-hmm. meant to do that. No, you're not even meant to throw overhand, to be honest with you. Exactly. That's not the way the arm moves. Which Move your arm back and forth with your hands and your palms open below your waist, and then then move it overhand over your shoulder. You tell me which way the arm's supposed to go, not overhand. Yep. So I, I, so, yeah. I think most of the injuries is a result of we're doing things that were never dreamt to be done with a baseball. I, I agree. Now, I agree. some think the Rays have more of a problem than others. I don't know the data. I don't. See, they, mm-hmm. they use more pitchers than most teams do. They use more players than most teams do. 
but they also have more of an emphasis on spin rate, more of an emphasis on throwing as hard as you can, only in, in maybe a yeah. short duration, maybe it's two innings. And if, if you get swing and miss on a slider, they tell you to throw it more, not less. Yep. But I, so, I, you know, I don't know if the Rays have more than other teams. I haven't done the data right. research. Yeah. Uh, it, it feels like it because we watch the Rays every night. That's true, we do. And yeah. so, you know, without, you know. You're aware of every injury. We could ask yeah. some, some guys that watch more baseball, like Neil Solance or somebody, you know, their thoughts. Yeah, but, right. You know, I just, I think the arm injury is a result of these arms are doing things that 20 years ago weren't even thought possible by most people. Yeah. And it's throughout baseball. If it were limited to the major leagues, um, believe me, it's in college, it's in youth. Um, I, I have I have someone uh, who I know very well that uh, played at Old Miss and had a great year um, and and pitched in the World Series and was one of their top closers. And two weeks afterwards, I think he went up to the Cape Cod League and his arm popped and he got Tommy John. You know, like, and again, I'll. I'd love to go on and on about college versus pro baseball. Um, that said, hard to blame anybody. You see this in youth ball. You see it in high schools. You see it, you know, younger and younger kids because they're told. And I've heard coaches say this, and I think it's a terrible thing and a terrible message. But I've heard them say this in some of these travel ball teams and whatnot. If I can get you to throw ninety. 90 plus by the time you're in high school, you'll get a college scholarship. I hate hearing that. I hate hearing it because not every guy matures at the same level at the same time. I was somebody that was 100. When I went to Arkansas State, I was 155 pounds. Now I lost 20 pounds digging ditches the summer before, but 175 was probably my max, right? Um, As, you know, like what, a sophomore, junior in college. So other guys, they mature. And, and and since college, I've never been close to 175 pounds, you know, 200 plus easy. And but some guys mature. I I, I matured late. You know, some guys, you know, grown ass men when they're when they're 16 years old. So again, I I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, regardless of what what these kids are f- physiologically, they're still told throw as hard as you can. Maybe you can hit 90. I mean, I remember hearing. People tell me about their kid. They were like, he's throwing 90. He hit 90 the other day. And then it was, he hit 92. It's like they're on a freeway or something. It's like, wait a minute. You know, what are we trying to do here? What's the purpose of this? Well, the purpose is if I can throw nine mid-90s, I could get drafted. I throw 90, I could go to college. Sadly, that's where we're at. When you said it, all I heard was Lieutenant Sam Weinberg. <laughs> There's my kid. He's throwing 90. That's right. Go. He's throwing ninety two. Getting guys out. He's got scouts watching. That's right. They got the gun on him. He's making them think about it. Yeah. Well, uh, unfortunately, um, it's it's uh, it's all too common, and the overuse injuries in sports in in general. That's the other thing apart about this too is that, and I'm. We somehow we got on this topic. I'm fine with it. Um, but the idea that kids have to de- de- determine what they're going to be at ten to twelve or under 10 14 to twelve, playing, they want you to decide eight, at seven or eight now. Just my I kids know. are in that age range, and it's like, I know they're they want you to play travel ball. They want you. Is it soccer or baseball? Is it football? Are you a football player? Are you a baseball under twelve? What are you under eight? What are you going to do? Are you going to are you going to play basketball? You want to play AAU basketball? You want to play? Well, what are you? I hate that. And 
I'm telling you, the, the guys, regardless of the sport, in my mind, that end up being the most successful and the least injured are the ones that said, screw it. I'm playing basketball and basketball. See, and I know it's hard to do. It's easy to say, very hard to do. Because these coaches now, like if I'm in high school, boy, I better be on that under 14 AAU team that that coach is coaching in the summer, or he won't even let me try out. Yep. I can walk on, but he's going to cut me because I'm not on his under-15 team or whatever. I've heard those stories. Uh, if you're not on travel ball, they won't even let you show up 100% true. 100% true. You can, Doesn't matter you how good be, you are, but if you weren't right. in travel ball, they're not, they're not interested. Oh, Mickey Mantle can walk out there on a, on a high school field, and if they don't know him and he hasn't played for the, under, the travel ball team, he's got almost no chance of making that club. I don't even know they'll let him have a, a swing in the batting cage. It's true, and it's horrible. And I don't know what we're doing to kids – and and that has and and you could even carry that on into academics if you want to like are you going to be a doctor are you going to be a going to be a singer are you going to be a lawyer like this this is crazy town to me but the best athletes even in today's sports are are and the guys that are more successful regardless of where where they what they specialize in are the ones that played a lot of sports you know there's been a lot of football players that those coaches didn't see them until they played basketball I never saw them on a football field but they saw them play basketball like okay you know um, they can just tell what great athletes they are, and they, they, they got tape in football. I'm not saying they don't didn't look at it, but I just think that you develop physically, and and what else? There's not the overuse injuries. That's what pediatricians will tell you. What they're seeing are are overuse injuries because a kid only plays soccer, or he only throws a baseball, or he only is you know hitting guys playing football. So I don't know. It's my son played a bunch, and and he ended up ended up choosing football, but he didn't choose it until he was like sixteen years old. I see it with so, my my kids. The, they have friends that at age six decided this is their sport and this is what. Isn't that great? It's and, and, and look, if it works for them, fine. But that's great, and I'm I'm sure it does for some. But you know what else happens? And I've seen this too. They they play one sport, they get burned out. Physically and mostly mentally, and yep. by fourteen or fifteen, when it really matters, they quit. Saw so a guy whose whose son who, who he was. This guy was a major league, triple A major league slash major league pitcher, um, who coached travel ball and all that, and whose son was a stud, but he was just kind of little, you know, yep. no, not real, not the biggest guy, and he was going to grow. I won't get into what he did to help him grow. Um, but by 15, he said, I'm done. I'm not going to play baseball anymore. I, I've had enough. And he walked on and played football. And he wasn't a good football player, but he enjoyed the hell out of it. But he just was burned out. Had been doing it since he was eight years old. And again, the emphasis on throwing hard. He just, he just had enough. He just, he just got to the point where he said, I'm done. And he was. It broke, it broke his family's heart. But you know what? I give him credit. But too often, I think that happens. You know, doesn't always happen. I'm not. I don't want to bang on people whose sons are in, you know, or daughters are in, you know. No, everybody's AU different, and, and every kid is yeah. different. Every Some family's different, and you know they love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Some kids, that's all they want to do is one sport, and that's okay. That's right. And you know your kids, so you can make you can you can make those choices. My only issue with the whole thing is if you play multiple sports, there are some leagues and teams that won't consider you. I hate. Yeah, that's and I that's what that. that's what bothers me about it. I mean, if your I kid just that. wants to do one sport, have at it. That's fine. I hate that. You know, but my kids play multiple sports, and we yeah. do it for several reasons. One, they enjoy they enjoy multiple sports. 
Right. Two, it's a mental rest. Absolutely. But they're using different skill sets, different muscle groups, different, you know, they play baseball and soccer. Very different sports. Perfect. Yeah, but they're one. You're running all the time. Athletes. You're yeah. running all the time, and, and teamwork and spacing and all this matters. Where baseball is more of an individualistic sport. It is and not as running mm-hmm. as much, and so we like that. That it it does a lot for them mentally and physically. But there Absolutely. are there are some issues that there are some teams that some of their friends are on that wouldn't even consider my boys to join because they play two sports. Yeah, uh, that to, to me is wrong. I, I hate that they make them choose. And they should just be allowed to be kids, and everybody should be welcome, and the best players play, or or whatnot. But um, but that's just not the way it is. Well, we got onto this through Pete Fairbanks. Um, do we have a couple questions that we we could still get? We got to we got one more Rays question here. We'll get to. And John okay. had uh, tweeted right. us. He said, due to small market budget constraints, the Rays are churning their roster harder than most MLB teams. For instance, there are only four players from the 2018 expanded roster on the Rays active roster now. How have the Rays succeeded where so many others fail? Um, well, they're, they're a great organization. Um, that's the easy answer. They, they, they have a way of identifying players, uh, that they get in a lot of ways, not just drafting, but from other teams and they develop them and they, they, their analytics are such that they're able to have success. And I think when you've had enough organizational success, like this team has, players are willing to come here and buy into that because they know that, you know, they're gonna. You're gonna get the most out of them, and then that's just gonna. If they can't get paid here, it's gonna help them go on and have a brighter career, you know, in a longer career somewhere else. I just think they're good at what they do. They draft, they develop, uh, and if they don't draft these players, they 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 find them. I think their scouting is has got to be really really good. But it's it's more just about their entire organization and their system and and just how they believe in what they're doing. And and oh by the way, of late. Um, what's going to be interesting is this, that for the first time I can really remember as since, I guess I'd say, oh, eight, right. When you had Longoria and BJ Upton and some of these guys, right. Carl Crawford was at, was at the end of his career. Um, but those are guys that were homegrown, what became superstars, right. David Price is even, and yeah, when they, when David Price and those guys got, you know, through arbitration and all of that, they, they became too expensive at that time. But in this case, I, I, I see this raised group of players um, as you've got two legitimate superstars here. You got two guys that can be bad. I'd say you got three, if you haven't claimed Maybe three. Him. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yes. Chain is definitely in that picture for sure. Um, but you got you got guys that are battling each other for MVP honors of the league, right? In in Wander Franco and Randy Rosarena and Shane McClanahan. And that's different, particularly the position players, right? And then you add guys that are, I mean, has Josh Lowe impressed anybody so far? Um, you know, you still have Brandon Lau. If he stays healthy, can hit you 40 bombs. You, you, How about Isak Paredes and Harold Ramirez? That other Ramirez is, is crushing the ball, you know? And already has almost damn near as many home runs, if not more, than he had all of last year. I think I the mean, Rays the guy, do such a good job of scouting other players mm-hmm. and seeing mm-hmm. one or two little things they could tweak mm-hmm. to make them a much better player that other teams miss. I mean, That's right. St. Louis traded Randy Rosarena. They had no idea this was his ceiling. The Rays <laughs> did, or Rays hoped. Yeah, yeah. You know Yandy that. Diaz. 
Absolutely. I mean, Yandy Diaz or Harold Ramirez or Isak Paredes or look at all the players on their roster that Manuel Margot that they traded for or right. You know, Jose right. Siri. Jose Siri, five tool yeah. guy. Yeah. But they 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 find ways to tweak little things. Mm-hmm. But I also think they've created a culture. Yes, that's that makes players thing. very comfortable. I think the Lightning do the same thing. They have yes, uh, but the Rays do that, and and a lot of these players for the Rays came up through the minors together, winning championships along the way. Yeah, they have, like, that's part of the culture. Their minor league teams went to the playoffs every year, and a lot of them won championships along the way, and they learned how to win and play together and and, and yep. built that culture from the minors on up, not just at the big league level. No, it's throughout the organization. And that's, sure. that's and so key. That's the one thing. I, I mentioned this before in the podcast. When I ran into Joe Madden at Bruce Arians uh, golf thing, we're talking about the Rays, and of course he was a big look, biggest part of it, right? I mean, took him to the World Series in '08. Was a manager when they started turning around and winning, going to the playoffs and things like that, uh, breaking the hundred lost seasons. But he goes, you know, the Rays right now. He goes, tell me another team, right? That's not the Dodgers, right? That storied franchise that buys their players or the Yankees, right? Similar. But tell me another team whose culture is established and better than the Tampa Bay Rays right now. There isn't any. I would argue that, that the Yankees definitely aren't. No. The Dodgers no. maybe. I don't see them enough. And, you know, they've got some great players yeah. in that. But so much of you that know, is Maybe the is Astros. Agents. Astros, fair. Yes, fair. It seems as if the Astros replace great superstars with other guys they've developed, uh-huh. and now they're superstars. But it works in their culture, and it – you know, they, yes. they adapt and, and players seem to work there when they get there. It's like, you know, one of the yeah. things I think the Rays do extremely well, and I think all good organizations, the Lightning too, you know, when they're looking at players, it's not just the skill set of the player. It's the person. That's right. Like, you know, they've done their research to know that this person we think can fit in our clubhouse or our locker That's room. That's right. That's right. You know, that that they're going to work here. And, and, and not everybody, you know, the Rays have their detractors, and not everybody's a fan of some of the stuff they've done. And right. they're not going to go That's trade right. for those guys, no matter how good they think they are. That's right. You know, it's finding those those guys that work in your system. And and the Rays have done it better than anyone in baseball. And you see that, the closeness of the team. Uh-huh. They have a lot of nationalities um, in that clubhouse. There's a lot of diversity. They all seem to get along. And one more thing, give credit to the manager of that of that ball club. There's a reason he's a two-time AL manager of the year. Absolutely. Kevin Cash has to have a buy-in every single day from every single player. And there is no group of 25 men that get along all the time. It just doesn't happen, particularly when you have such diversity. And if you watch these guys pull for each other, and, and they involve everybody that's not just on the major league roster but all the way about 60 players deep if you consider the minor leagues that come up and down, they all – are together and they all accept whatever role they're put in on any given day at any given situation. And that is, is a credit to Kevin Cash. It really is. It's not easy to do. It just isn't. Everybody wants to play. Everybody wants to bat clean up. Everybody, you know, everybody wants to be a starter. Everyone wants to be the closer. These guys have a buy-in and he has to manage those personalities and, and, and that diversity every day, and he does it better than anybody in baseball. And everybody knows it, and they're, they're really blessed to have him. Um, and you think about the managers, Joe Madden, Kevin Cash, that's a, pretty good, that's a pretty good record too is identifying those guys, right? Absolutely. 
it does. It starts at the top, and even Andrew Friedman into Eric Neander. Yeah, absolutely. And, and their staffs. Yeah. I mean, you know, good organizations have a lot of consistency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a lot of coaching changes, not a lot of organizational changes outside of some people go get jobs elsewhere because they're so good and get promoted. Well, they become managers like Derek Shelton, right? Yeah, absolutely. All, I mean, all through the league, and he's got the second team, the other team with the best record in baseball. Yep. So, yeah, you give him a lot of credit. All right, uh, thanks for listening. We're going to have lots of uh, stuff tomorrow, I would think, on, on the race. Have a, they have a matinee. I'm going. You're going. I'm go to the matinee. Absolutely. I'm be there. Rays and Pirates, be- best two teams in baseball. There you go. Well, I, I'm not sure. The Pirates may fall Maybe out not. of that. We're taping this before yeah. the game on Wednesday night, so we don't That's know that. That's true. Outcome. They were the first 20-win teams in baseball this year. The first two, yes, yes. Yeah, so – and they, and they when they started the series, they both had the best records, one and two. Yeah. How about Jose Siri stealing home the other night? Oh, it was beautiful. I loved his reaction, too, by the way. You see the picture we got in the Tampa Bay Times on that? Uh-huh. It's phenomenal. Somebody should frame that thing. That was beautiful. He's going to do it on his own this year. He's going to just come down the line one time and steal home, I'm telling you. That cat is fast. Yep. He's really – and and I love Kevin Kiermaier, and he, by the way, he's still making plays in Toronto. Yes, he is. He's just throwing guys out all over the place. Um but you don't lose anything in center field with Jose Siri. He's a he's a plus plus outfielder, man. Yep. And he'd have thrown a guy out the plate the other day. I don't know how Benton Bettencourt kind of lost the ball. It was kind of a short hop, but not really. Um, but he had a guy thrown out the plate the other day and uh and they couldn't hang on to the throw. But yeah, that dude that dude's good. That was great. It was great to see the double. I love the aggressiveness. And again, bigger bases, guys can only separate from the mound twice per batter. Um it's just going to lead to more and more runs, I think, for the race because of their athleticism and, and their aggressiveness and, and uh, the way they take extra bases. So that was great to see also. All right, thanks for listening. Again, uh, for Steve Burstink, we'll be back tomorrow. I'm Rick Stroud, the 10 Times. Have a great day, everybody.